Hey, podcast listeners, it is Michael Shelley, and welcome to this week's podcast. We are doing an encore of a podcast originally aired April 4th, 2009 with PJ Pro B. This was something a listener suggested to me, and I am happy to take suggestions for encore podcast subjects. Uh, just email me, michaels at wfmu.org, and I'll, I'll get yours on soon. I'm going to try to do this just about every week. I don't have a guest on the program. I'll just rerun one from an older, older program. Uh, April 4th, I want to let you know Reverend Bill Alpert's will be my guest. He is an 88-year-old uh, reverend, of course, and he made one record in 1968, a, a very interesting, very 68 kind of a record. We'll talk about religion, we'll talk about music making. That's next week. Uh, Saturday, the uh, April 11th, Danny Tedesco, the director of the documentary about the L.A. studio musicians, The Wrecking Crew, will be here. And then April 18th, I'm real psyched to have the Cactus Blossoms. They are a, a brother group, two brothers who I saw opening for Nick Lowe, uh, and my mind was just blown. These two guys have something really special. It's 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 it's. I don't have that many live bands on, and uh, it's because I don't know. I'm just. I'd rather just play music. So if I'm having a live band on, it means I'm really believing in in whoever that is. So Cactus Blossoms coming up Saturday, April 18th. I'm I'm really looking forward to that, and we'll of course be podcasting that. So PJ Proby, he's. He was everywhere. He's, you know, he's just one of these larger-than-life characters, and uh, I think you'll find this interesting. He does use the word, I think he says colored folks a lot, or things like, he does, he does not know the term African-American, which after like the 10th time he said it, you know, I was thinking, like, am I supposed to correct this guy? It's a tough spot with an interviewer, but uh, I don't think he, I don't know, it's... I don't think I, I don't remember completely, but I don't think I ever addressed it to him. But it's one of those weird, weird moments when you're interviewing folks. Uh, anyways, hope you are well. And I appreciate those again who who pledged your recent fund drive. It's uh, qu quite thankful. Uh, check out WFMU.org slash Michael for the archives for the list of upcoming guests. Oh, yeah. And oh yeah, one other thing. My phone line here drops out with PJ Proby just after the first minute. So you'll hear me go back to music and then we fade that out and start the conversation again. Of course, nothing is easy with PJ Proby. A friend says that your love won't mean a lot. And you knew that your love is all you Says that your love won't mean a lot. 
Yeah, there is PJ Proby, and that means a lot, and that just sounds fantastic coming out of those speakers so loud. PJ Proby, welcome to the program. How are you? Hello, thank you very much, and thank you for opening with John's song that he wrote for me. Yeah, that is just a great song, an amazing performance, a great record, and it still sounds fresh as a daisy. It sounds fantastic. Yeah, John wrote, John Lennon wrote that for me. Yeah, I, you've had an amazing career. I mean, an amazing life, and it's and it's not over yet, not even close. I get the feeling. Nowhere near. Uh, you were born James Marcus Smith out in uh, Houston, Texas, right here in the United States of America. Your dad was a banker. Tell me what your childhood was like. Was there music in your house? Or? Oh, yeah, from, from day one. My mother, from the day I was one or two years old, had me uh, taught me harmonies to sing with her to the radio. And uh, we would uh, I would sing with her while she sang uh, to the radio, you know, when it was playing. And then uh, 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 I just grew up with the music and everything she she was a frustrated tap dancer and her brothers my uncles were uh frustrated singers and whistlers and barkers at the carnival one of michael down who just died at 99 uh he was a, one of the best friends with, with bing crosby and bing wanted him to go to europe with him and everything but he never did and he just always regretted it. that's all we talked about when I went home. Hmm. So, growing up in the you know the late forties, the early fifties, what kind of you know you're a teenager, you're a, a kid. What kind of musical acts were coming through Houston at that time, and did you get a chance to see them? No, no, I was on stage myself. Me and Tommy Sands and Elvis worked at uh, the Eagles Hall, and uh, and uh, the uh, Hitchin Post. And these cowboy bars from uh, from the age of like uh, Elvis was uh, seven. You there? Please hold the line. Okay. Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah. So we're trying to talk Please here to, hold the line. to PJ Proby there. Ah, uh, very interesting. So far, it's going great. Uh, Please hold the line. I'm holding the line. Yeah, you're tuned here to the mighty WFMU, and I'm attempting to interview PJ Proby here. I guess I could try to call him back. PJ? Hello? Hello? Yeah, there's uh, PJ Proby, K. Sarasara. PJ, you're back on the telephone with us? Yeah, I, I don't know who hung up, hung up on us. But. Yeah, I could still hear you in the background there. You just couldn't hear me. I think. Does anything ever go easy with you, or is it always the hard road with PJ Proby? Oh, nothing's ever gone easy for me at any time in my life. That's what I it was seems like. Military schools by the age of nine. By the age of nine, I was carrying an M1. <laughs> so your dad's and, a banker, and he's got you in military school, but in your heart, you want to sing some music, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I did that in the summer. You know, we got three months off in the summer, and uh, I'd come home and I'd work with Elvis and Tommy Sands 
and then I'd have to go back in the winter in September to military academy. So you graduate military school and you moved to California. And was your father going crazy? Did he want you to follow? Oh yeah. Now his his last words for me is, "I'm going elk hunting, Jimmy. I'll see you in two weeks." I said, "No, Daddy, I'm I'm here for the duration. I'm 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 here. I'm gonna knock Rock Hudson and John uh, John Derrick off their pedestals." I'm so goddamn good looking that my, they won't be able, be able to find a leading lady good enough for me. <laughs> and and uh, he said, yeah, uh-huh, I'll see you in two weeks. <laughs> that was his last words to me. But by the end of two weeks, the biggest, <clears throat> I had Ray Gilbert, who wrote Zippity Doodah and Zoot Suit with the Repleat and all the music to Song of the South, which he got an Oscar for. He was my manager. He took me to Gaby Lutz, Heller and Loeb, who had Liberace, K Star, uh, all these, all these big uh, Tony Bennett and everybody. And uh, he had to fly, fly in before two weeks was out to sign the contract because I wasn't old enough to sign it. Hmm. And immediately these guys changed your name to Jet Powers, right? You yeah, st- yeah. They, they couldn't have. See, in the fifties, there was already a John Smith actor there. And you couldn't have actors w- uh, with the same name. So you got Jet Powers, and you got a few small roles in movies, and you put out a couple of singles, very sort of rockabilly stuff, and this is the very early 60s, right? Well, uh, actually in the 50s, and I had my first <clears throat> record out. They put me on a plane with me and Charlie Applewhite and Dorothy Lamour and sent us to uh, Boylston Studios in, uh, on Boylston Street in Boston, and uh, I cut my first record there, but uh, nothing ever happened with it. Uh, and uh, nothing really ever happened with Gabriel Teller and Little Agency because they uh, they were such a big organization that uh, they uh, had never gotten anybody off the ground. They had bought people after they were already big. You know, like Dorothy Lamore with... with uh, with uh, Bob Hope and Bing Crosby so they and didn't, Charlie Applewhite. They, they couldn't break you open. No, they couldn't do anything. They they didn't know what to do with uh, uh, a singer who had never been heard of. Mm. So you started writing songs and making demos for folks. You had a lot of songs covered, uh, the Revlons, Ricky Nelson, Jackie DeShannon, the Searchers, the Critters, Johnny Burnett, all kinds of people. How did you get into that circle of, of folks? The, the... Well, I, I, I was... Uh, sitting at home one day and a friend of mine came over and said you know that girl you're always on about that you used to dream about that elvis used to go with Dottie harmony i said yeah he said well put some clothes uh, yeah, so cursing oh, probably no. not a good idea so uh so i uh, i put some clothes on he took me over to this girl sharon sheely's house who it turned out had written poor little fool for ricky nelson when she was 14 and uh, I was sitting there on the couch, and I said, what a load of bullcorn, man. I said, Dottie Harmony isn't here. And Sharon heard me. I was whispering it. And she said, oh, yes, she is. She'll be down in one second. In fact, look at the top of the stairs. And I looked up at the stairs, and there was Dottie Harmony coming down the stairs. I couldn't believe it. So that was my introduction to Sharon Sheely. And the whole uh, Johnny Burnett and Darcy Burnett, who wrote for Ricky, Baker Knight, who wrote for Ricky, 
and uh, I, I started going with Dottie. And all those guys were sort of in the Liberty Records family, which is where you ended up. Sharon Sheely also was engaged to Eddie Cochran, right? She was Eddie Cochran's yeah, girlfriend. Well, that's, I met Eddie the next day. She said, would you... I said, Eddie's coming over tomorrow. Do you think you could make it over? And I kind of went, well, well, uh, maybe. I'll, I'll try. And when we got outside, I said, Bumberg, God Almighty... Get me a six-pack of beer and just dump me here in the flower bed. I'll sleep here tonight to make sure I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back just one second to meeting Kim Fowley. Uh, yeah, Kim. I met Kim about a week later at Sharon's house. He he was one of that clan too. Now, are you? Do you appear on the Hollywood Argyles version of Alley Oop? I was a musician on there. Yeah. So t you're playing. On so tell me just a little bit about Kim. What kind of a character he is? Well, Kim used to Kim used to come over and uh, we would go down to record companies and and wait in the lobby for rejected and dejected <laughs> artists to come out with their tails dragging the ground. They had been uh, they they'd been turned down, and uh, Fowley would just approach him and say. I see that you have been turned down. They don't want you. Well, come with me, and I'll make you millions. <laughs> and by God, he'd take them into the studio, and he did. <laughs> and and it was the first time they'd ever been paid. These were, these were mainly colored boys, and uh, uh, even if they had a record out, uh, they were never paid. And Fowler used to make sure that they were all paid, like the Olympics, and uh, Don and Don and Dewey and all these these California colored boys acts, and uh, they get some local hits out, and and uh, Fowley would pay them, and they were just uh, over the moon with with Kim. Mm. Uh, so uh, eventually, you get into the Liberty, you get signed to Liberty Records, and and put out a, a couple of early records produced by Dick Glasser, big backing vocals by the Johnny Man Singers, and like that cream of the crop that that was just starting there in in the L.A. Uh, Wrecking Crew, as they came to be called, those guys, Glenn Campbell and Hal Blaine, and those guys. Uh, yeah, and we were all uh, signed to Metric Music, and uh, we all wrote for Metric. <clears throat> and uh, every time there was a demo made, uh, we got all we got all the work. Uh, no matter whether it was one of our demos or for for somebody else, we 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 had a little. We'd, we'd write there in, in the in the studio and then ship it straight upstairs to Snuffy Garrett for uh, Bobby V and and all the other artists around, Timmy Euro and everything. And uh, the musicians were uh, me, Glenn Campbell on guitar, Leon Russell on piano, David Gates on bass, and... Uh, um, uh, Hal Blaine on drums. Sometimes uh, uh, on drums was what's his name from the crickets, Jerry Allison. Hmm. And so, what'd you get paid for a demo session in those days? Oh, and Herbie Albert played trumpet for us. Ah, Herb Albert, sure, I've heard of him. Yeah. So, what did that pay? What did it pay? Yeah. It paid me absolutely nothing. It gave me enough to get some beer and hamburgers. <laughs> but uh, Glenn Campbell <coughs> used to get. Uh, loads and loads of money for his work uh, because he had a Cadillac and he carried his golf clubs in the back 
And uh, every time we beat it, they're waiting for Glenn. They said, where's Campbell? I said, never mind. I know where he is. I'll get on my motorcycle and go get him. I just went to the golf course and said, okay, he get in his car and his Cadillac and drive to the studio. He was such a golf fanatic, he, that came before anything. <laughs> I never heard that. Uh, so you did a, a bunch of demos for Elvis Presley, and there's a couple on your website, uh, and it's it, amazing how close your voice sounds to Elvis on these, and that's one of the talents you've got is kind of you can sing anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what was the deal? I, I, I never uh, was tied down to any one sound of music. I liked it all from from uh, colored blues to country western to light opera. Hmm. So they had they would have songs for Elvis for movies, and they try to demo them a little more in Elvis's style so he could learn the songs. Was that the purpose of these demos? Well, the, the songwriters Ben Wiseman would come to me, and uh, he was Elvis's main writer for his pictures. And uh, he would use me as his uh, as the demo singer, so Elvis wouldn't have to think about what he was going to sound like. Hmm. And how many of those did you do? Oh, I did about four or five motion pictures. I did loads and loads of those things, like the ones you've heard on the uh, on uh, the email or whatever you call that thing, right? Uh, uh, computer. Uh, I did. I did about sixteen or seventeen more like that. Hmm. I've even uh, uh, Ben just died last year, year before last, and I was trying to get uh, get him to send me all of the demos that we did, and because uh, we didn't just do them for for Elvis, we did them for Johnny Cash and Bobby V. I did the Night Has a Thousand Eyes. That's I was the first one ever to sing that, and. Uh, Ben was just too ill, and since he's since he's gone, uh, I didn't want to bother the family any, any more about asking them to send me anything. Hmm. Uh, so you meet this guy named Jack Good, and your life changes miraculously, right? Oh yeah. Well, see, Sharon, we we put we put Eddie on a plane uh, one year, and and uh, sent him to England and everything, and he did so well over here. That while he was here, uh, they decided to extend the tour with him and Gene Vincent, and uh, so what he was—he was only supposed to be here for a week, and uh, all of a sudden the phone rang, and, and uh, he said he was going to stay over here for another month. So, uh, so uh, we 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 were we were sitting around me and. Sharon and uh, Don and Phil Everly and everything. The phone rings and all of a sudden he says, "Sherry, baby, get your ass over here." <laughs> so we uh, we had to get Sharon packed and everything and to the airport the next day, and then she came over and then the rest is history. We found we they were when they were coming back. We got a phone call. They had gone out, done a lot of shopping, got the wedding dress. They were getting married, which is hard to believe because. Because uh, Eddie was so anti-marriage, uh, he and I used to go out in, in his car hiding from Sharon all the time. <laughs> it sounds like it was kind of a little family, you and and uh, Sharon and Eddie Cochran, and just that whole little group there of young, hungry... It was hungry. a total family, yeah. and always we met at Sharon's house, nobody else's. Uh, so Ricky you... and, and the Everleys and... and uh, 
and the Dorsey and Johnny Burnett and uh, and uh, uh, all of us and Eddie and everybody and uh, we all just met at Sharon's and uh, just all picked and grinned. We just had beer and. <laughs> And wrote songs. Uh, so Jack Good puts you, uh, he's taken with you, and he puts you on this Beatles uh, television special, which I think is like the first special that was beamed around the world on the Telstar satellite, or one of the first things to go yeah. to go up. Well, when Sharon got got back, she had a, a, her neck in a brace and everything, and it's a wonder that she lived through the car crash. And she <laughs> kept playing me all these movies, of all the artists that were over here that she had met, B Billy Fury and uh, Cliff Richard and all that, and she said, uh, this were all, these were all produced on shows that were called Old Boy and 6-5 Special TV shows over here, and said, and Jack Good was a producer, and he's coming over here to America, and I'll introduce you, you to him when he gets here. Well, a year later, I'd forgotten all about it, and I was... Uh, up in my, in my house in Laurel Canyon, and I just had a big row with Liberty Records, and they cut my money off. So my wife and I were eating by candlelight tacos, <laughs> and uh, the doorbell rang, and I just grabbed my pistol behind the bar, and I said, honey, get the door, will you? So she went over and opened the door, and there was Sharon and Jackie standing there, and I said, well, hey, ladies, what are y'all doing up in this neck of the woods? You mean Jackie to Shannon, right? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and and they said we brought somebody to meet you. <laughs> I said, well, who? And with that, a shadow stepped. A guy stepped out of the shadows and came over to me. And I hadn't had a haircut for about two months because Liberty had, had stopped my money, <laughs> and uh, and nobody had had long hair at that time. And he just jerked my hair. And said, "My God, it's real, my dear boy. You're hired. Be at CBS tomorrow morning at ten thirty. And with that, he disappeared into the night. And I said, "Sharon, what was that all about?" He said, "Well, you're hired to do a, a TV special for him. Be at uh, CBS tomorrow tomorrow at ten. I said, "Honey, they just repossessed my car. Liberty doesn't pay me any money. I can't get off this mountain." He said, uh-huh, what you want is just me to pick you up, don't you? Marianne, that was my wife at the time, take that jug of wine out of his hand and that beer out of the other one and put him to bed. If you're one minute late, I'm leaving you here. <laughs> and so the next day she took me down to CBS, and we did a thing called Young America Swings the World. And it didn't sell, but all of a sudden the Beatles came out, and and it turned out, you know, and uh, and Jack and I were actually we'd already done Young America's Queens of the World. We were working on a musical for Othello, and uh, the Beatles came out, and one and he turned just said, Jim, Jim, he said, I must go to Britain to produce this show with the Beatles. I told you about them, and uh, said I'm going to play them your record records and see if I can't get you on the show. So I said, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm a, really the Beatles don't don't really knock me out that much, uh, Jack. I mean, they're not exactly the four aces or, or, the, or, the, or the four preps or anything like that. You know, I'm used to really good group singing. So he left, and I, and I was 
had a big row with my wife, and I moved out, and I was in a in the Highland Hotel in Hollywood. The phone rings, and it says, "Hello, Mrs. Smith, now Vivian Mortahan here from Rediffusion in England." So I'm told that you're probably doing nothing more than trying to learn your lines for a fellow, of which I'm told also that you're very slow at, you're a very slow learner. So if you're doing nothing more, the Beatles, the boys would like you to come over and be on their special. What do you say? I said, you're right, ma'am, I am mean, very slow. I mean, Shakespeare didn't get to Texas for me, <laughs> so I'm having a tough time, and I'll be on that airplane. She said, I thought so. I'll probably see you around. Goodbye. <laughs> uh, you can, and uh, that was it. The next thing I was in England. There's there's clips of that special on the internet. They're pretty easy to find. And it's very interesting. You're quite a striking figure. You, like you said, the the tied back ponytail with a ribbon and the sort of the slightly pirate look. You caused a complete sensation. Even just to wiggle your ponytail, you know, out of the curtain drove the audience crazy. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I see the Beatles. Elvis had done the quilt, you know, the big pompadour and everything with his hair in the sideburns. And the Beatles had done it down with the hair down in their eyes. So I thought, what can I do? Well, nobody's ever worn a ponytail since the last century, <laughs> except the guy who wrote Nature Boy, who rides around here half nude in Hollywood on his bicycle with his hair down to his ankles. And uh, so I, I grew the ponytail and everything, and... Uh, and uh, I, I for, first I wore it in a bow, and uh, and I kind of had the the the, uh, the clothes. My stage clothes were kind of uh, they were velvet, but they were made like like the peasants of England used to wear. And I wore the bow in the hair like the English sailors did in the Navy. Let me remind the folks we're speaking with PJ Proby here, uh, live on the telephone from the UK. Uh, so you recorded that song, That Means a Lot. Was that about the time they gave you that song? And had, I mean, you must have been pretty you happy. Know, I, went, I, I used to go to a nightclub every night. And uh, the Beatles and all of us used to drink up there and everything. And, uh, and I just said to John one day, I said, you son of a gun, you bring me over here. I said, you write songs for Peter and Gordon, you write songs for for uh, uh, Mary Hopkins. And I said, you bring me all here, why don't you write a song for me, you butthole? And he said, well, actually, I will, dear boy, I didn't know you wanted one. And so I went home that night, and I didn't think about it. A week later, I'm up at the ad-lib again, and uh, John calls me over the table and said, here's your song. And uh, I said, my God, I, I was kind of half-assly kidding, John. And, and I said, well, thank you very much. Tell me, do you think you can get uh, <clears throat> get um, oh Christ? Yeah, you think you can get George Martin to conduct and arrange it for me? He was a ranger. And he said, my God, he said, he's not satisfied with just a song. He wants me a ranger, too. <laughs> and he did. He got me George Martin. To, George Martin uh, did that whole session. Yeah. Did, did now, you, were, you made a lot of records with Ron Richards, who produced the Hollies, produced a lot Ron of... Ron was my producer for yeah. everything except that record. And what, I, bo I mean, great guys to work with, Ron Richards and uh, he was the George, best. George Martin. Yeah. Uh, what was Ron the... Ron had the Hollies. Yeah. He was responsible for the... As far as I was concerned, the, the Hollies had the best vocal sound of any group 
uh, out. Yeah, I, I, I still it. think that. I agree with you on that. So tell me, what, what was the difference in just the approach of recording in Hollywood with those session guys and recording with the session guys in, in London? There wasn't any difference, with the exception of the, the session guys in Hollywood. We were so close, we slept on each other's floors because we didn't have any money. Leon and David didn't have anything. And uh, they even had families. David had a family, had children and everything. And we were really struggling. And, uh, and we were, we were so close and tight knit. We were like, uh, like kinfolk. Uh, but, uh, and over here, uh, I had fairly much the same thing with, uh, the musicians with the exception that I was a name now. And, and, uh, so I acted a bit Hollywood and la-di-da. <laughs> but, I mean, my, my first session men over here were Jimmy Page, who couldn't even play lead guitar. He played, he played rhythm guitar. And Big Jim Sullivan, Jimmy Page ended up as Led Zeppelin. Big Jim Sullivan left and went with Tom Jones. And uh, so I was in pretty good company here, but uh, we weren't in a... In a in a uh, sidewalk starving situation over here like we were in Hollywood. Hmm. Uh, so you, you've got a few hit records over there, and then some huge controversy starts around 1965 when your pants burst during a show, right? Yeah. And then the next night, the same thing happens again, and, and folks aren't sure whether or not this is a, a stunt or if it's just a coincidence. Well, the folks didn't care. They loved all of it anyway. It wouldn't even matter whether it was or wasn't. It wasn't. It's just that when I looked at the artists over here, excuse me, I, I saw that everybody stood in one place and shook their hair. <laughs> I've never seen such a thing. I come from uh, a country, you know, where where the, the colored people move and use that whole stage and boogie all over the stage. And uh, so I did a completely Harlem colored act, like James Brown. Hmm. And I did knee slides and all that kind of stuff. So even if I'd have been wearing Levi's, my, my knees would have split. Hmm. And uh, so I was wearing velvet. And so that, that just split real fast. But but the thing is, they had just brought a a new committee in here over called the Morals Committee that this woman Mary Whitehouse was heading, and uh, they had a they had a thing about they wanted to get me uh, out of the country anyway because they thought I was making money where a British boy could have made money, and uh, uh also i was they i was kind of like too big mouth for them over here they had never seen anything like me mm. so in 1965 you're doing a concert with Scylla black and your pants split again and they basically ban you right from playing yeah. in all theaters in great britain and your records aren't allowed on the bbc that's well what happened there they, they banned me because uh uh what what really happened is is uh tom jones manager gordon mills went out uh, and to uh, the promoter, uh, um, oh, what's his name? Oh, he has a very famous daughter who was on, um, I can't think of it right now, but uh, he paid the promoter to throw me off the tour and put Tom on. And uh, they said, we can't do that because he's too popular. And uh, 
Mary Whitehouse said, he's a Texan redneck. He'll do something that I can get him on on a morals clause. So it was, just, a, it was a conspiracy. Into my hands. Wow. And so when the pants split, that was it. Yeah. They had never seen flesh before. <laughs> and... Uh, so they, and, they banned so you. They, they uh, threw yeah. me off the tour and hired Tom. Uh, but I would have been thrown off the tour whether the pants had split or not because money had already changed hands. They would have found something. Uh, so you, you put out a single called I Apologize that still gets to number seven, even though you're not on radio and television. Uh, and I think you, at this point you sort of go back to the USA and you record uh, my favorite PJ Proby song, Nicky Hokey, which uh, written by Jim Ford and Pat and Molly Vegas, produced, That's I think. right, right in my living room. Produced by Jack Nietzsche, right? Jack Nietzsche. Nietzsche. Uh, yeah. I mean, tell me, tell me, I mean, I love Jim Ford, one of the greatest songwriters ever. Pat and Lolly Vegas, two of the craziest guys, also uh, great songwriters. Yeah. Uh, tell me about all, you know, all of those guys. What was that well, whole that's scene? The guys I grew up with. Like, we all met uh, when we were 17 at Scrivener's Drive In on Sunset Boulevard, which doesn't exist anymore. Uh, and we, we had all, like, you know, when we didn't have any money, one would have some money to give the other. We all lived out of each other's pockets, and uh, we had a really struggle to make it and everything. And when we did, I had this big old mansion in Beverly Hills and everything. We were sitting up there living the same way as we did when we were living on each other's cheap motel floors and everything, but uh, and doing the same things that our surroundings. Now we had a, a big mansion and everything, but I had the boys up all the time, and we were sitting around they were smoking marijuana and everything and i was still sucking on a jack daniels bottle and and lolly starts singing this thing and i said my god son what is that and he said oh it's just something that we're we we just wrote me and jim and and pat and i said god damn it i want it <laughs> and so i called nietzsche up and i said i've got a song here book book a recording studio for this week and so he booked it and we went in and cut it yeah, it's a great... And it was the biggest record I've ever had. Fantastic record. Sounds great. I mean, how much partying was there with, when you were with, hanging out with Jim Ford? Every night. Jim Jim uh, uh, actually lived... Jim never had a cent to his name. And I had... I at least was a writer for Liberty Records, so I always had a monthly check even before I got success, successful. So Jim lived at my house with my, me and my first wife. And then when I came to England, uh, Jim was cut loose on his own, and he started he started getting somewhere with Bobby Womack. And uh, then he came over here to England for a while. But when I, when I had to leave England in '66, I was deported. Uh, I went back and I got Johnny Ray's house and Efren Zimbus Jr.'s house, and lived in Beverly Hills. And Jim came up there and lived in the big house up there with me. Hmm. In fact, he was dating my secretary, <laughs> uh, and uh, and we did a lot, a lot of songwriting up at that big, beautiful mansion. Yeah, uh, around this time you get kicked off a Dick Clark show, right? Yeah, <laughs> for for, for uh, telling the we were in in uh, in fact we were in Jim Ford's hometown, Harlan County, Kentucky, and. Uh, and uh, I was on stage, and I was I was doing the song and everything. And I turned to all these students. We were this is all college university students, about ten thousand of them. And I said, "Now, children, 
You know what I am holding in my hand, don't you? Yes. I said, well, this is not Bull Durham, is it? No. I said, well, if it's not Bull Durham, children, what is it? 10,000 college students stomping on the floor. Uh, so that doesn't quite fit with the Dick Clark image. Yeah, Dick exactly. came back to the dressing room and said, you're fired. Yeah. I said, what do you mean? He said, uh, I can't, I'm the oldest teenager in, in America. I can't have this kind of a reputation. And I said, what did I do? He said, you were promoting marijuana. And I said, I didn't say that, Dick. The audience did. I don't even smoke real regular cigarettes. I'm an asthmatic. <laughs> and he said... And I said I was not holding anything in my hand. I was I was just uh because of the whole song is Nicky Hokey to Tootsie means hello baby, how you doing? I wanted to tie you for Batame me means I wanna thank you for turning me on today. Uh if you dig me on the Scooby Die, then you turn me on now and I'll turn you on I dig you on the Scooby Doo. I'll turn you on tomorrow. You old bookaboo you means you old head you. You old bookaboo you means you old head you. Get hip to the consultation of the blue weed. Get hip to smoking joints. Hmm. <laughs> See, that's all in Cajun language. So, so you were gone from that tour pretty quickly. Uh, around the same time, you're engaged to Dean Martin's daughter and hanging out with that crowd of, of folks, right? Oh, that was long after I'd been here. and uh, That was uh, just after I'd... Uh, Tell me about that. I mean, what was it like hanging out with those guys and running with that pack? Well, uh, funny enough, I went up to Jim Ford's. i just gotten it into into America. Uh, I can't remember why I went there. I think I just wanted to be back in California for a while. And I, I went down and I, and I uh, rented Troy Donahue's old house next to the Whiskey of Go-Go. Ford called and said, come on up to the house for dinner. I went up there, and he introduced me to uh, Claudia Martin. He was living with her, and she was just beautiful. I was knocked out the minute I laid eyes on her, and we had dinner. And uh, uh, before I left, I gave my road manager a note to give me a ring to her. <laughs> and she called me the next day and uh, said Jimmy had found the note and that uh, he was on his way down with a pistol to shoot me. <laughs> so I went out and I got myself a pistol, and I was waiting for him, and he did. He came down, but uh, I called the sheriff's department, and they kind of like met him in the street and everything and took him away. And uh, that that uh, that next day, I went up with a, with a uh, U-Haul trailer and everything, and moved Claudia out of her house and moved her down in with me. Hmm. Uh, we were really running a bit long here, PJ, so uh, excuse me for having to sort of get the rest of your life uh, in the condensed version. Uh, you declared bankruptcy. Uh, you made the three-week hero record with the guys from Led Zeppelin, right? Yeah. Uh, and then in the 70s, you sort of started doing some musicals and uh, had some ups and downs with alcohol and some problems. Oh, no, I'd always been a drinker. Always. I'd always been a big drinker and everything, but it, it never it never interfered with the performance. When did, you, when did you stop? Have you stopped drinking? 
I haven't had a drink now in 15 years. Hmm. You did it. You had I, a, dro- I dropped dead in Florida. You had a heart attack 1992, right? 92, yeah. Yeah. And I haven't had a drink since. Oh, good for you. Uh, tell me, in 2006, you went through five tour managers. W- what happened there? 2006? Yeah, that's what I read on your website. Somehow you went through five tour managers, no? No, no, they weren't tour managers. They were drivers. Drivers. I have, I have a Winnebago, and the driving is on the American side, and they kept wrecking the son of a gun. I had to change drivers. Okay. They couldn't drive my American Winnebago. Oh, that's funny, because the steering wheel's on the wrong side. Uh, you toured with The Who in their uh, big Quadrophenia show. Oh, uh, yeah, we went all over America and all over Europe. And then lately, you've sort of gotten your act sort of back together. A lot of records are coming out, your 70th birthday, and some great best of, and you're doing some some uh, package touring with Chris Farlow and Brian Poole and Mike Pender. And uh, Is everything good now? You're working on autobiography? Well, I, I did that a long time ago. Uh, I've got it now with uh, some uh, Gene Pitney's people, and uh, I just might be doing a deal with them. I haven't done anything with it before, simply because uh, the publishers wouldn't give me an advance. Hmm. And I've had very bad luck with royalties. I've never been paid for one record I've ever made. And uh, so I wanted, I want, I demand an advance from any publisher. So you've never, your royalties, you've never gotten royalties for your I've hits. never gotten a royalty for one song I've ever recorded in my life. <laughs> the only money I ever made in my life, which well, was quite a, quite a bit, was uh, was personal appearances. Hmm, amazing. And and songwriting for other people. I see you've got like a show coming up. Uh... In South Shields, April seventh, folks up there. That's yeah. In the that's uh, we leave. We leave. What is this Saturday? Yeah. We leave Monday, and uh, Tuesday we do the show, and then we come back to the spread here. Folks can check uh, pjproby.net for all your upcoming dates, and there's just tons and tons of information on your website. We got one starting in September. PJ Proby and friends that'll be running all through September. And that's a, a, a package tour. Uh, yeah, it's me and Vanity Fair. Uh, who'll be backing me and Brian Poole? Hmm. And so, what is next for you? Are you just going to keep singing till till you you can't? No, I can, there's no such thing as can't. I'll keep singing till I drop dead in front of the audience. <laughs> well, I hope I'm there for that. That sounds they like they can cart me off and do what they want to with me. Sounds like a great show. Use me as a pinata. <laughs> Uh, PJ Proby, this has been fantastic, and if you're ever in New York, I I demand that you drop by and see us on a Saturday morning. You don't have to demand it. I'll be there. Just pull me up some carpet, and uh, I'm used to sleeping rough. And uh, just just keep in touch through Mania. These are my... My Dutch people who run my my affairs and everything. I, I'll keep in touch with her. I, I've got the song Nikki Hokey queued up here. Uh, who's playing on this this great track? Uh, well, Pat and Lolly are playing on it. Ford couldn't play an instrument really. He could pick a little bit of guitar. Um, and uh, is it Hal Blaine on the drums? Yeah, there's Hal on there, and there's a couple of guys that uh, just died. They were all the the biggest session musicians that you could think of. They all, uh, uh, God, I can't, I just can't think of all of them. One of them was, a uh, Was it Jerry uh, Cole, maybe? Yeah, Jerry, I think Jerry might have been on there. Uh, a lot of very, very big colored musicians were on there. All right. 
Uh, well, let's hear it now. PJ Proby, thank you so much for visiting with us, and, uh, you know, have a great Saturday night. Well, you all have a great Saturday night down there yourself. Uh, in fact, uh, one of my friends is there in New York with you uh, who wrote Saturday Night Fever, Nick Cohen. <laughs> okay. Now, he used to sleep on my coffee table. Of course he did. Uh, PJ, thanks so much. Okay. Way down Louisiana, out in Cajun land. Folks got something going on, something like the careful kitchen to its I wants to tie you for a tame man. You did me on a scooby doo. I dig you on a scooby die. You all book a fool, you. You all book a fool, you. Then I can get hip to the consultation of the fool I Sisters on a trip, your mama got here. Little girl, you looking okay. You all book a fool, you. You all book a fool, you. Get here, do the consultation of the fool I weep. Follow me.